When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is Kevin Conroy, the voice of Batman. And you're listening to the DCAU Review, hosted by Cal and Liam, streaming at DCAUReview.com and on your favorite podcast app. Welcome, everybody, to episode 224 of the DCAU Review. I am one of your hosts, Cal, with me, my good friend, good brother, the man that runs our Twitter account. It's Liam. Liam, we are wrapping up, hard to believe, wrapping up already uh, our Flash Month that we are celebrating here, the fastest man alive in various different incarnations throughout DC Animation, and uh, we are ending the month with a, uh, a pretty big review here as we review an actual movie that focuses on the fastest man alive. That's right, and uh, yes, unlike our, our other reviews this month, which have mostly focused on the DCAU's main incarnation incarnation of the flash of course that being the wally west version this for this week we see a uh, different flash that of course being the sort of the mostly now considered main uh, dc comics flash of barry allen and uh, an adaptation of uh, a, a pretty now famous or infamous depending on how you felt about what came after most likely <laughs> uh story from the comic books that of course being flashpoint but of course, this movie is officially titled Justice League, The Flashpoint Paradox. So it's not just Barry we're here to talk about today, though he is definitely the star of the uh, of the film. That is right, Liam, and uh, excited to get this one reviewed with you. It's been a little bit since we've reviewed mo uh, a movie here, and uh, this one... I think after a brief discussion, you agreed this does officially count towards the Tuckerverse, so we've reviewed at least one other movie from this, maybe two? I know we did the Constantine movie. Was that the first one that we did? I don't know. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know. We've done I'm... 200 and some of these now, and <laughs> I feel like we've done another one, but I can't, uh, I can't place my finger on which one it would have been. All right, well... We'll say that this is uh, one of the few that we've done from the Tuckerverse, <laughs> so the DC Animated Movie Universe, the DCAMU. So very excited to review this one with you today. So before we do, of course, we are going to get the official IMDb synopsis for this week's episode, which uh, covers the movie that uh, this movie originally released back on July the 30th. 2013, meaning we just passed, literally just weeks ago, passed the nine-year anniversary of this movie's release. And of course, the IMDb synopsis is brought to you by The Pod Tower. Head over to youtube.com slash The Pod Tower, and you can uh, hear this review. Maybe you're listening to it on The Pod Tower right now. Uh, and all of our past reviews, you can head over to youtube.com slash The Pod Tower. We appreciate you liking our videos and subscribing. And when you subscribe, you not only get fantastic content from us and our entire back catalog, but you get the uh, some amazing work from other DCAU content creators as well. So check that out, youtube.com slash thepodtower. That's right, and this is the synopsis for 
Justice League The Flashpoint Paradox, uh, which was written by Jim Krieg, obviously based on the graphic novel by Jeff Johns and Andy Kubert, directed by Jay Oliva, with music by Friedrich Weidman, and animation by uh, Studio 4C, or the way the, they had the little degree in there, so it might be Studio 4 degrees Celsius. <laughs> I'm not quite sure what they go by, but that's the, uh, the animation services provided here. And that synopsis reads as such. The Flash finds himself in a war-torn alternate timeline and teams up with alternate versions of his fellow heroes to return home and restore the timeline. All right, not bad. As far as a movie synopsis is concerned, I think it's fine. Yeah, as far as a uh, as the synopsis here goes, I think that's a, that's a pretty solid one. Um, as we can we can jump into our plot here now because this is a movie, Cal, we won't necessarily be looking at this uh, scene by scene the way we can with a a twenty two minute uh, cartoon that we might review on any other normal week of the show. But yeah, I mean, suffice to say. Uh, we have a little intro with uh, Barry fighting off the Central City rogues like Captain Cold, Mirror Master, and uh, of course leading the charge is the Reverse Flash, who uh, very quickly we learn is, uh, is ready to sort of end the rivalry with Barry once and for all and wants to kill him. Has these bombs attached to not only Barry but to the rest of the rogues and uh, is ready to sort of blow up the entire city, but uh, thanks to the Justice League, uh, that uh, that doesn't happen, but uh, as Barry is is watching Thawne, uh, aka the Reverse Flash, be led away, uh, the Reverse Flash can't help but taunt Barry and remind him that there's certain people, especially people that Barry cares about most, that he's never been able to save and won't be able to save. And uh, we see Barry sort of take off running, and uh, and then all of a sudden we're not in Kansas anymore. That is rightly, and we wake up, and, uh, well, we don't wake up. We've, we've been <laughs> watching this, hopefully, the whole time, which is why we're giving this review. But uh, Barry wakes up, and uh, suddenly uh, he feels like he's in a rush. He's in the crime lab and feels like uh, he's got to go hurry up and get something fixed because he hears that there's some happenings going on, and he quickly realizes that uh, people don't know what he's talking about when it comes to certain Flash villains or even who the Flash is. And uh, as he runs out and attempts to uh, t to change into his flash flash costume using his uh, his costume ring, he uh, trips down the stairs of the police station in Central City and bangs his head. And uh, and as he sort of get, goes to get up, he happens to find a familiar face there waiting for him, and it's none other than his mom, uh, who he's completely flabbergasted and shocked to see. But she isn't shocked to see him, at least. And reminds him that uh, they had plans to take her out on her birthday and to celebrate. And uh, Barry's quickly very confused as he tries to confess to his mom that he is the Flash. And she's not quite sure who the Flash is. <laughs> Barry, what's gotten into you? Are you all right? People have been acting so strangely with this terrible war hanging over their heads. War? What? No, Mom, I'm fine. But everything else has changed. And I have to find out why. I think it probably has something to do with me being... Gay. What? No. It's okay. I love you no matter what. Mom, it's not that. It's... something else. Brace yourself for a shock. I'm the Flash. Oh. 
What's the Flash? You know, the Flash. Fastest man alive, fights crime, very famous superhero. Superhero? You mean like Batman? And he uh, he makes a point at saying that he's very similar and fights crime uh, like other superheroes that are out there. And she compares him immediately to Batman, who we uh, we got a very, uh, very smooth introduction to just at least this universe's Batman. As we see, he's also very different than the Batman we know and love. Uh, this Batman uses guns and, uh, and is, is willing to kill it appears Mm -hmm. uh as he throws this villain yo-yo off of a building and uh after he's uh searching for the joker and to try and get information from yo-yo about that but uh there to catch yo-yo before she hits the ground is none other than cyborg who we learn very quickly through some exposition and dialogue is an agent of the government and is uh, working as a national security advisor to President Obama, as I have dubbed him. <laughs> uh, he he is not President Obama. He's just the president, as uh, the credits say. But uh, definitely based on uh, on on President Obama's mm-hmm. uh, at least appearance. So I, I've dubbed him Obama. Uh, so yeah, we we learned a little bit about uh, these these heroes here and uh, just who they are and. Uh, we get some exposition that occurs at this point where we learn exactly what's going on and where we've been dropped into this this flashpoint paradox universe as we learn that there's growing war tensions between two sides the atlanteans and the themiscarians uh, mm-hmm. as we as we learn that wonder woman and aquaman in this world are at war we'll learn later on that it all all stems from this uh, unfortunate incident that occurred where there was a treaty that happened between the two the two uh, nations that ended with a romance between Aquaman and Wonder Woman only for Mira to find out and for her to get extremely jealous and attempt to kill Wonder Woman. Wonder Woman ends up beheading her, which causes this war between mm-hmm. the two of them uh, because uh, Aquaman was uh, was not quite happy that his wife was beheaded by uh by wonder woman regardless of why she did the beheading and now wonder woman walks around wearing mira's crown sort of as uh what appears to be a trophy so we learned very quickly here that things are on the brink of destruction and we're not quite sure how we got here we think that uh we think that thawne might have something to do with it barry does not have his powers and uh, realizes very quickly that maybe he should try and go find Batman. So he heads to Wayne Manor and fi- winds up in the Batcave, much to this Batman's surprise and chagrin, mm-hmm. as uh, this Batman pretty brutally and very quickly <laughs> begins uh, disassembling Barry and uh, breaking limbs and fingers uh, in order to find out just who he is. And we kind of get that uh, almost that Batman v Superman moment here, uh-huh. where he doesn't mention Martha, but he mentions <laughs> Bruce by name, and that sort of snaps this Batman out of it as he confesses that he's not Bruce. And Barry very quickly puts the the, the pieces together and realizes that Bruce died on the night uh, of the Wayne murders, and that this, in fact, is Thomas Wayne. You're Thomas Wayne. I told you, everything changed. You have nine more fingers. I suggest you tell me how you found out about me. In my world, I'm a hero named The Flash. 
Bruce took me here. Showed me... I used to be a doctor. Mention my dead son again, and I will break out my surgical instruments. My ring! Let me show you that I'm telling the truth. My uniform is in that ring. I'll humor you. See? I told! Not what you were expecting? No. Thon. Who? The man this uniform belongs to. My opposite. The reverse flash. Eobard Thon. What kind of name is Eobard? The 25th century kind. So, uh, Thomas agrees, uh, after Barry sort of tries to convince him that he came from this universe, that he has these powers, and as Barry goes to, to run away from him, uh, a ring flies out of his pocket, a flash ring, so he picks it up, and shooting out of the, the ring is not his Flash costume, but is the Reverse Flash's costume. So we, we start connecting dots here and start putting pieces together that something is afoot and that Thawne is responsible and that Barry decides that the only way for him to, to solve this is to once again regain his powers that he's lost. That's right. So, uh, and we should mention, actually, right at the start of the movie, prior to the, the time shift, there we do get one, uh, a couple of scenes of young Barry with his mother where she, uh, she mentions the, uh, the, the famous uh, serenity prayer to him, you know, accept the things you can't change and, and, and all of that. And mm -hmm. that's obviously become sort of the major theme of the movie. It's sort of repeated to him by Iris as he's standing at his, his mother's grave. And, and so, uh, we kind of know that, that see some, see, we see that, uh, as, as the world has changed around him, he, he seems to think that Thawne is the one responsible. And so he knows that he needs, as you said, Cal, to regain his powers and try to go back using the speed force to uh, to solve uh, to to fix history and put things back the way they are. Although at this point he isn't quite aware what the the flashpoint, if you would, the moment that caused all of these ripples that created such a crazy alternate timeline. But he knows that this he needs his speed and that Thon must be at the center of it. So he goes about recreating the accident that gave him his powers he hooks him up into what appears to just basically be an electric chair yep. on the uh, on uh, on the roof of Wayne Manor and uh, and and Thomas hooks him up to a uh, to the chair and has all the various chemicals that Barry was doused in when he was struck by lightning originally and and uh, well he gets his wish he does get struck by lightning but uh, <laughs> things do not uh, history does not repeat itself here as all that uh, Barry gets out of the deal is uh, some pretty horrible uh, disgusting burns and uh, in fact he even catches on fire from the as, as from such a violent uh, strike of lightning hitting him with these chemicals uh, infusing into his body at the same time so the world continues to sort of unravel and uh, as Barry is sort of unconscious following this uh, this horrible uh, accident uh, that he that he inflicted upon himself, really, 
uh, he starts to see glimpses of this alternate world's history and realizes that some of his memories of his world are beginning to be replaced or combined with memories. He sees a, a, a ship falling from the sky and landing not in Kansas, not in, Metrop not in Smallville, but in, in the center of Metropolis. He sees uh, Thomas Wayne assaulting or beating up a, a mugger in the crime alley while a dead, bleeding Bruce lays behind him and Martha Wayne lays there with blood sort of smeared across her face in the, in the look of, a, uh, of, a, of the Joker, as, uh, though this isn't really focused on in this movie at all. Um, in some of the tie-in materials, it is revealed that Martha Wayne is the Joker of this world as mm -hmm. well, having been so psychologically broken by, by young Bruce's death. So we, we feel like we're running out of time here as, as the, we also kind of cut around to some of the, the various war front happenings. We see Steve Trevor sort of captured and interrogated by the, the Amazons as we learn that Lois Lane is somewhere on the ground trying to report from behind the Themyscarian lines. Earlier today, the Amazons captured some of Aquaman's advanced scouts. Wonder Woman's lasso made them spill their guts. Literally. Aquaman is leading his army through the English Channel tomorrow. The Amazons are worried that if he gets his secret weapon past their shield, They'll be vulnerable. They remain defiant in the face of... <gasps> Final thoughts. If there is an afterlife, a cushy anchor job would not be out of line. And uh, we also learn that, uh, that Aquaman has some sort of secret weapon that he is holding back, which he might uh, unleash to try to kill the Amazons. And and we see Deathstroke and Lex Luthor. They just show up. And, and <laughs> There's they, a lot of that in yeah, this. It's like, it hey, is, you know this guy? He's different in this universe. Right. So, yeah, we have Le we have Deathstroke and, and, and Lex trying to gain intel on what this, uh, this massive weapon of Aquaman's is, only to be confronted by the Atlanteans and all brutally murdered along with all of their compatriots there a lot of that's another theme of this is uh because this is an alternate history we get to kill everyone and there's a lot of uh, violence that we'll certainly talk about more in visuals cal but so as as barry comes to having these memories of the new world and as uh, atlantis and themyscira uh, seem to be growing ever closer to war it seems like it's about time for uh to give it one more go as uh, as Barry needs to regain his powers if he's going to uh, just put a stop to all of this. That's right. So uh, take two, if you will, as they strap him right back into the same thing. Third degree burns and all. And uh, Bruce, or not Bruce, sorry, Thomas, stands by sipping from his flask uh, just very <laughs> casually uh, as another lightning storm has come to Gotham. And thankfully, this time it works. Uh, thankfully for Thomas too, because he was knocked off by the uh, by the lightning strike. In the midst of the lightning strike, the electric chair becomes unplugged, so he has to run and plug it in. And as the lightning strikes, at this point, it finally works. He's knocked off the top of the of Wayne Manor and is thankfully caught by Barry, uh, who has since regained his powers. Uh, at the same time, 
uh, we are we are the tensions continue to grow on both sides as we as we mentioned we get our first glimpse of Lois behind the behind enemy enemy lines as he, she's introduced to a, a group of freedom fighters that are working sort of from the inside and are attempting to uh, prevent this world war from happening and, and get in between both sides and sort of defeat both of them. Uh, sort of recognizing that if they're able to take down the leaders of Themyscira and Atlantis, then uh, then both sides will hopefully at that point recede. Uh, that's their hope anyway. This and this is led by the uh, not not lesser known character Grifter, who uh, mm-hmm. we discussed was a, a Jim Lee creation. Uh, we discussed this before we went on the air. Jim Lee creation from the Wildstorm comic days when Jim Lee created his own universe Mm -hmm. and then dc at some point bought wild storm so they have the rights to these characters and i think grifter was introduced you mentioned during the new 52 and has since kind of maintained a a a presence yeah a few of those those wild storm characters from from the authority especially have kind of stayed around in 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 dc comics uh sort of the main continuity as a whole so i think his inclusion here while it does seem pretty random because i don't I don't think Grifter has many other animated appearances <laughs> to his name. I think in within the context of the story, he was used in the book because he was going. He and some of the other Wildstorm characters were going to be used going forward in in the main comic book universe. So there you go. Well, now that uh, that Barry has his powers and uh, has also uh, changed his, uh, he only has the the reverse Flash suit, but somehow through. Flash magic, speed force, I don't know. <laughs> He's able to do alterations to the costume. And uh, he, along with Batman, decide that they're going to try and convince uh, Cyborg uh, to join them because uh, they're, they're pretty certain at this point, as they go, Batman and Flash go to investigate just where the, the Kryptonian uh, spaceship crashed in this timeline in the midst of Metropolis. That, there, that Superman has to have survived and that uh, likely the government is covering something up and Batman's insider for the government, of course, is uh, the, the, the is Cyborg, who, is, as we mentioned, is working uh, directly with the president. So uh, he's actually been relieved of his duties shortly before this, so feeling maybe a bit spurned and like uh, he's no longer serving his country or maybe his country is no longer serving him, he agrees uh, reluctantly to help Batman and the Flash break into this top-secret facility in order to hopefully find where Kal-El or Superman is located. Uh, and when they do, they find him, uh, but unfortunately uh, he's quite emaciated. He's been kept sort of as a government ex- uh, experiment. We see sort of these deformed clones uh, in and around him, so it mm-hmm. appears that the government has been creating experiments on him. Uh, so they, they help break him out and get him into the sunlight in the hopes that he's going to be the, the one that can stop the war from happening between these these two sides. But as they're escaping, the U.S. government, of course, is none too happy. They step in. A lot of murder happens because of this. Uh, Superman unintentionally, because he's n- has never been outside of government control, uh, murders some people with his heat vision and... Uh, flies away and, and sort of saddened but in the meantime flash and cyborg try and instill in him that they are friends and there's this interesting dialogue that's happening between cyborg trying to educate and catch this superman up to speed 
while Batman stands by, and it's it's really the war of two sides. Batman is is very much the Debbie Downer mm-hmm. of this universe. Mm-hmm. He sees the end is coming. He doesn't see any good in humans. He doesn't see anything anything good coming out of this situation. The end is near. It's inevitable. While Cyborg is sort of the hope and is trying to instill that hope into Superman. Mm-hmm at the same time this must be some kind of mistake a rogue division of the government keep telling yourself that we should have left him where he was he'd be safer he needs the sun don't know if you can understand me but what happened to you was wrong most humans aren't like you. they're worse no people are good in fact some of them risk their lives for the greater good they're called heroes heroes don't worry friend everything's gonna be okay I thought heroes never lied. Cyborg, stand down. You have exceeded your authority. Return the stolen government property or face immediate fire. You don't understand. They were using this man as a lab rat. I don't think they care, Vic. So beautiful. So they they manage to escape uh, the rest of the heroes have managed to escape at this point as, as Barry is able to help sort of thwart the government's uh, attempt at this point we also get some more cameos we get uh, we get Hal Jordan we learn is a, <laughs> is a pilot that is going on a, a apparent suicide mission to try and, and end the Atlantean side of the war he gets snatched up by some sea monster and mm-hmm. killed uh, and this this sort of leads, uh, unless I've forgotten anything of, of main concern, this sort of leads to the culmination of uh, of what happens here. Oh, I will say, the Lois, as she meets this group of freedom fighters, happens to notice that there's another speedster in the area, and through their through their detective work, Batman and Flash recognize that. Not only is this speedster Thawne, but that he's likely uh, revealed himself in an attempt to get Flash to, to meet in, uh, in this one spot where the, ultimately both sides are going to culminate in a, in a battle mm-hmm. in, in, uh, in Europe. Yes, that's all, all our moving parts kind of come together. We have the sort of this remnants of a team that Cyborg was trying to put together, which is him and a sort of alternate version of the Shazam family, which was introduced, I think, in more recent years of... Well, I mean, the the three, Mary Jr. and, and Billy Batson's version have all been around for decades and decades, but sort of a, a larger family. But this version's kind of a... It's kind of a Shazam Voltron. They all they all say Shazam together and form one uh, one big muscle man, Captain Thunder. That's right. So uh, we have, we have them on the on the team as well as of course Cyborg, Batman, Superman. Sort of retreated. We don't know what his status is. And then yes, we have this incredibly violent, incredibly uh, bloody war uh, living up to its name here, as it, it does appear like this is going to destroy everything as as aquaman's allies and begin to fall and me again we get a lot of cameos here we get ocean master and and uh the two aqua lads and i think dolphin is in there at one point like there's some real deep cut supporting characters here i think we maybe see uh, artemis and maybe a couple of the wonder girls in the background though not really named as well in this uh in this battle as well but then of course yes we have we have batman and cyborg and and the flash and the other freedom fighters who uh who had helped lois they're all trying to uh to sort of 
end this war before it uh, engulfs the entire world. And uh, in that in that uh, in that fight, finally Thawne reveals himself, and he and Barry sort of race off to have their their climactic battle. And and Thawne really really starts to take Barry apart, and and as he's sort of taunting him and and telling him how he wants to make Barry watch this this horrible world end, we get our our big sort of uh, third act reveal, which is that it was not Thawne that uh, that caused this alternate timeline but that it was barry mm-hmm. and that barry choosing to go back and save his mother's life who had been murdered when he was a child uh has caused this ripple and uh, has caused a, as what he refers to as a time boom mm-hmm. like a sonic boom uh when you break the sound barrier it it doesn't just ripple in one direction it ripples backwards and forwards in time and therefore has created this horrible alternate world, all because of Barry, not because of Thawne. But now that they live in it, Thawne is very much uh, happy to make Barry watch as his whole world, including his resurrected mother, now will face Armageddon because of this horrible war. What did you do to the world? Oh, Barry, that's the beauty of all this. I didn't do any of it. You did. Think, Barry. Isn't there some little thing, some little good deed you might have done? I saved someone. Yes. I saved her. I saved Mom. (gasps) That's right. No. No. It wouldn't have changed all this. It wouldn't have changed what happened before her murder. Bruce's parents, Clark's landing. Oh, but it did. Break the sound barrier and there's a sonic boom. You broke the time barrier, Flash. Time boom. Ripples of distortion radiated out through that point of impact, shifting everything just a tiny bit, but enough. Enough for events to happen slightly differently. I just wanted to save her. Her hero. How noble. Oh, wait. You didn't stop JFK from getting assassinated. Or make sure Hitler stayed in art school. You saved your mommy. You missed her. And in a supreme act of selfishness, shattered history like a rank amateur. Turned the world into a living hell moments away from destruction. And I'm the villain? all caused by Barry's actions and it uh, becomes this sort of final moment as Barry doesn't have the speed he needs. They, they talk about how if there's another speedster, I guess, on, on the planet tapping into the speed force, then Barry won't have enough speed to, uh, t- to run back in time again. And just as, uh, as Thawne completes quite a, uh, quite a cutting monologue, honestly, where he, he points out that of all the moments, all the injustices across history that Barry chose to fix it wasn't it wasn't stopping hitler it wasn't stopping uh you know an assassination of jfk he chose to save his mom Mm -hmm. and uh and how selfish that is and how his selfishness has now caused the end of the world yeah and uh as he continues to taunt we uh we hear a gunshot and a, a scene we'll certainly talk about in visuals we see that uh, Thomas Wayne Batman is sort of his last act as he's been mortally wounded as well during this fight. Uh, you know, Aquaman's been killed by Wonder Woman by this point. Wonder Woman herself has been 
scarred by the Shazam family and... And, and Aquaman uh, sets yes. off a nuclear bomb right, that we learn is... Right. is it Captain Adam, <laughs> is, uh, in fact, is, is responsible. That's the secret weapon. And uh, the, so as nuclear holocaust is, is upon us here, uh, Thomas Wayne finally is able to... He shoots Thawne right through the head. And with Thawne now dead, that allows Barry to return through time and actually has to physically stop and tackle himself from going back and changing history, his his earlier self who had gone back. And uh, from there we see a, a flash of white and, and Barry is back at his mother's grave sort of apologizing for happen, having to put things back the way they were. And and uh, we, we see the flash take one last trip to Wayne Manor where he uh, has a gift to deliver to to Bruce as we as we wrap up and we we see that though the world's back uh, back as it was, a few things visually have certainly changed. <laughs> Everybody's in their new fifty two costumes. That's right. So that's uh, <laughs> that's our hint here that some some things have changed here. And uh, and Bruce, uh, as is probably maybe the most famous scene from this movie, and certainly the most famous pages from this book, probably uh, Barry is able to hand deliver a letter written by Thomas Wayne to his son Bruce and uh, and Bruce informs Barry that he's one hell of a messenger and kind of have uh, Barry a very much a, uh, a end of the flash TV show we just sort of see Barry run off and we get a kind of a nice in, elongated action sequence of Barry running through the city and springing into action as the as the adventure continues there we go all right uh, so I- Big picture thoughts here when it comes to the plot as we'll get into our scores now, Liam. I will say um, this, uh, I have mixed feelings about anything written by by Jeff Johns. Mm -hmm. I have mixed feelings about Jeff Johns as a human being. Sure. Um, I do, I don't love that he brought back Hal Jordan. I don't know how many times we've said that on the podcast, (laughs) but we've talked about that before. Him, Him bringing back Hal Jordan and Barry Allen for a time, really, really upset me. But I think Barry Allen, very much less so. And I think that this story, while somewhat derivative, you know, you have another hero with a dead parent, and that's that's the sad the sad boy story is, you know, Barry's dead parent, and he couldn't, he's not fast enough to stop his mom's killer, and feels a bit derivative at times. But, mm-hmm. and uh, the amount of times now, I mentioned this before we went on the air, but if, if indeed the Flash movie the ezra miller miller or whatever that whoever's going to star in that movie <laughs> ever comes out uh we'll be quite familiar with the the flash origin story at this point as mm-hmm. far as his mom being killed and him having to go back in time just because of not only this movie how big the comic was at the time the ripple effects of the comics uh, the the t- Flash television series also mimicked this exact story mm-hmm. and and the origins. We also have seen uh, in the the Watchmen, the Doomsday Clock. This was a miniseries that DC Comics did a couple years ago. That was that was fantastic. Mm-hmm. This played a huge role in yeah, that. There's a, there's a sequel comic being released as we speak called Flashpoint Beyond. So right. uh, the you know the Thomas Wayne Batman character from this story entered into the main DC comic continuity for a while and became one of Batman's biggest rogues for a time. So there's a lot of ripple effects on this story from from the comic side effect, and that, that then, in turn, 
affected a lot of the media that we talk about on this show. And so I think every, almost every story made, you know, animated comic book television show live action has sort of been affected by by this story, at least it was as ones that involve the Flash, certainly. Absolutely, yeah. So I'm all of that to say that I'm very familiar with this and revisiting this story could have felt like a, an eye roll. And I, I'm pretty sure I watched this close to the time that it was released at some point. I don't know if I made it through all of it, but I, I definitely remember watching most of it. Um, so I, I enjoy it. I enjoy the story. It's very, uh, it's very impactful. I will say maybe my one gripe is, is that you didn't have as much of the, the heartstrings pulled upon with Barry realizing that he essentially had to re-kill his mom. Mm-hmm. So we don't get the, the heartbreaking moment as much where he has to interact with his mom or say goodbye to his mom. Yes. Um, and those things, as far as the Flash television series are concerned, are some of the some of the best scenes. Like those, yeah. are, the, those are some of the most memorable, heartbreaking, emotional scenes uh, that have been portrayed in the in the nine years or eight yeah, years that that, that show has yeah. been in the air. I mean, I'll, I'll go as far as to say I think that's some of the best live-action superhero stuff in any medium. It's and, good. You it's know, good. that that whole arc of the, the end of the first season of The Flash, I think, is is tremendous. And, and, yeah, I think that not getting to see that part of this and seeing or really get to see Barry, because Barry finds out that he's responsible and then undoes it a few minutes later, we don't really get to see that struggle that he has or really even him having to deal with the ramifications of what this means again we do get one more scene of him at his mother's grave at the very end but even that's more of a backdrop for him realizing that he's back in his time with you know with his iris now restored um who of course she he was not in a relationship with iris in the flashpoint world so it's not really it's not really given as much weight as i think it should be for that that decision that he has to make in that moment and how, you know, gut wrenching that would be for, for someone to have to make that decision to, (laughs) you know, to allow your mom to, to die in order when you could stop it. Right. Because of all of these other ramifications it would have to do so. Yeah. So I think we are robbed a little bit because we don't get to see that and it, you miss some of the emotional impact. still a little bit there and i think it makes up for it by doing the inclusion of the handoff of the letter to bruce Mm -hmm. um so you still get some of the well you know he had to let his mother die but look at what came out of this situation like there was still good that came out of it regardless and his his choice to be selfless selfless uh ultimately ended up helping somebody else uh, a friend of his so um yeah, I think the story is good. I think the movie is perfectly paced. It didn't feel like it dragged in too many places. You know, we talked about when we did the Batman Under the Red Hood movie. Mm-hmm. At that point, there's so much jam-packed into that that they didn't cut out of the comics that felt like maybe they could have. And I don't feel like we... I mean, we, we did some research and looked it up, and it didn't look like there was too much that was left out from the original. Mm. That maybe, maybe one or two details changed. Yeah, a lot of the side characters got their own... This is also, you know, sort of the uh, the double-edged sword of modern big two comic book events, mm-hmm. is that you have your main uh, mini-series that usually does the, the big blockbuster action and, and everything kind of moves at a clip like it does in this movie, but 
all of the character development for our side characters like the Shazam family or you know more of Aquaman and Wonder Woman and some of these other characters who are big parts of this story kind of get shortchanged a little bit because you only have you know whatever it is eight, 80 minutes to tell this story and you don't have right. you know probably almost like 70 comics worth of of tie-in material by the end of this yeah there's no there's no side dishes with this it's all it's all main <laughs> course which for a movie i think that's what you want absolutely you absolutely, absolutely. Want it to be so you're right some of the some of the fleshing out maybe the impact of the of martha wayne being the joker didn't feel like you don't feel anything because of that like mm-hmm. you don't really care about this character the development really doesn't matter the shock isn't isn't that big of a deal the reveal isn't that big big of a deal but i think that it's paced very well like i said i didn't feel like it dragged very much it's pretty violent and pretty brutal for uh for a a cartoon movie as we mentioned these these movies were definitely geared more towards adult pg-13 maybe to hanging on close to an r-rated film they didn't have as much language in this so i think that's why it was probably pg-13 but a lot of violence uh in this in this film so I, I think the the pacing is done done really well for the amount of material that they had here and mm-hmm. what they could have been bogged down with. Um, the storytelling was great, staying true to the original material, great. Um, I I really enjoyed this. I I think that uh, the like I said the only the only downside being that maybe the emotional the most emotional uh, important emotional moments are 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 the things that they ended up cutting out. Uh, which probably took my score down a little bit, but uh, all things considered, still a very strong score. I went with an eight out of ten. What about you? Yeah, I went one tick lower. I went seven out of ten. I don't, I don't really disagree. Like I think it moves really fast and it's exciting. And certainly in the third act, when it's just wall to wall, you know, famous DC comic characters being violently killed, it's very <laughs> compelling and it's very you know memorable and. You feel like there are very high stakes to this, and this feels like a real, it's just like an awful, violent world mm-hmm. that is going to collapse in on itself. And mm-hmm. like you, you do feel the stakes of this. That this isn't. It isn't just, you know, it isn't just worse than the main world. It is. It is. It is centered on Armageddon. Like all of history is has been undone by this. <laughs> right. Um, I do think like there's little things like I don't think we needed the Hal Jordan suicide yeah, mission. That That's was... like. It's, you know, it's five or six minutes probably of, of him, you know, being briefed on it. You see him, he finds, he doesn't get the ring, but he gets Abensur's ship. Mm-hmm. And then he flies off to uh, to face off with the Atlanteans and he fights a big giant sea monster and Just pops tries, out yeah, tries to kamikaze it. You know, the, the stuff with Captain Adam, it's, it's fun that Captain Adam is the bomb. Like, mm-hmm. that's a fun bit. I think that type of reveal plays better in a comic. Sure. Like, I don't really think you need Captain Adam. He's Captain Adam is in the Justice League at the start of this story. Well, and yeah, and they, they throw they do the throwaway line at the beginning of uh, of Barry's arrival in this universe that uh, Captain Adam went over to try and try and start peace talks and disappeared. Yeah. Uh, when he went over to London, so yeah. So it is like it's a fun reveal. I think if you for comic nerds, I think for the pacing of the movie, it doesn't. Add, other than it's a doomsday device, um, you know, it, like I said, it's fine. But that that sort of little side plot of of Lex Luthor and Deathstroke, and then Hal Jordan all trying to figure out what this bomb is, just you know, for the reveal. I mean, it's a good reveal. I think that it, you know, the Captain Adam strapped into a big nuclear uh, containment device or whatever. 
but uh yeah it's 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 i feel like you could have shaved a little bit off of that and maybe you do get to give a little bit more because as you mentioned when especially when they're freeing superman there's this kind of ongoing verbal debate between cyborg and batman of you know it's it's optimism versus cynicism it's Mm -hmm. it's sort of what comes down to the whole movie as you mentioned barry sort of makes this impassioned speech about you know as long as there's life there's hope and and it's you know that that as long as anyone that can do something to make the world a better place is still standing they have an obligation it's you know it's the spider-man it's Mm -hmm. it's great power and great responsibility and all that but I feel like maybe we could have fleshed out that side of it because it feels like, yeah, in the moment when Cyborg realizes that this U.S. government that he works for has kidnapped and tortured this, this you know, innocent creature in Superman, he has this real existential crisis, but we don't really get to see him resolve that because then we go right to the, the final battle and he, you know, he gets destroyed by Aquaman and Superman does come down and save Cyborg at the end, mm-hmm. you know, as, you know, and and calls After him a cutting friend. off Aquaman's arm yes. violently. <laughs> yes. Yes. Uh, so we do get you know the sort of the resolution there that you know that he he calls Cyborg a friend and a hero at the end for saving him and all that. But yeah, I, I think there's little things like I said. I think mostly I would say probably the Deathstroke uh, battle scene. It's great, and we'll talk about it in visuals. Uh, you know, all of the action in this, as violent and bloody as it is, you know, is paced I think incredibly well. It's very exciting, very frenetic, but. As far as from from the story beats, maybe you cut the Hal stuff and the, the Deathstroke fight, and may, then maybe we get to see Barry have you know one last scene with his mom, who, despite being the impetus for all of this, we really only see for two scenes. Two we scenes, see right. we see the scene of Barry as a kid when their car breaks down at the start of the movie, and then we see the scene of her coming to meet him at the uh, at the at the police station. So and forgive me if I'm if I'm wrong here, projecting the the uh, television show into the series but uh wasn't thon the person responsible for for Nora's death yes so yes. we and in the movie it is not explicitly clear that he's mm-hmm. responsible you see somebody uh, a man going into the house um yes. on the as as barry has to go back in time to stop himself but it's not explicitly clear that that's thon so correct very weird that they also didn't leave that part out that ultimate like that and that i feel like adds to some of the the angst and and the tragedy of the story like Mm -hmm. you not only do you have to let your mom die but you have to let your your arch nemesis kill your mom yes like and and ultimately get the w at the end of the day Mm -hmm. seemingly in order to prevent armageddon from happening like that adds just another layer of psychological torture Mm -hmm. that thon is responsible for which it feels like you're a little bit robbed of by not having that explicitly clear yeah but maybe it was maybe they felt it was too much or they were it was going to be revealed later or didn't they, they just didn't want to do it so yeah it's that that's an that's an odd choice so a couple of the things i don't disagree with you uh but uh yeah still still pretty good scores for the plot when it comes to our, our scores for today absolutely all right, Liam, let's move on to our next category, which is going to be animation and visuals. And I'm sure you mentioned the animation studio at the beginning of our, of our episode, but I, uh, I completely blanked on it here. Yes, we have, uh, we have Studio 4C, or 4 Degrees Celsius, okay. as, uh, as the studio, and uh, we have Jay Oliva as the director. Okay. Um, and the first thing, obviously, this is not quite the, as we talked about, even though this is sort of the jumping-off point for the 
the connected the Tuckerverse, as it you know is sometimes known the DC animated movie universe. It's not quite that style. It's not quite as refined. It's a little bit more anime. A lot of people's faces aren't very detailed. There's sort mm-hmm. of more exaggerated proportions on a lot of people. Mm-hmm. A lot of um, big necks and trapezius yes, muscles and, and, and smaller heads and you know especially like. I think Wonder Woman especially has the all the Amazons have like these very long slender bodies with sort of these larger heads and, and big eyes. Of, of, I pointed out it reminded me of the uh, the late Michael Turner's mm-hmm. artwork style. One hundred percent, yes. Uh, very very tall and lanky but muscular at the mm-hmm. same time. Everybody is just very exaggerated in their their limbs are extremely long and their torsos are long mm-hmm. and their heads like you said are, are kind of just circular and small and uh, everybody's everybody's eyes and mouth look a little too small for their face too yeah, like definitely pre, animation yeah. yeah it's pre the the flashpoint world like superman has a real weird face yeah there's some stuff there that that wasn't very attractive as far as the, the character makeup was concerned mm-hmm. especially in those opening scenes there are some really dynamic things as you mentioned though and i think plenty of things to as far as the action is concerned but i will say just off the top not my favorite animation style yeah. and definitely felt like uh different scenes were animated a little bit stronger and given a little bit more consistency and detail mm-hmm. it didn't just look as as weird like characters yeah just as strange yeah some of yeah like i would say like with with the flash himself with with thomas wayne's batman and with the reverse flash they all look pretty normally proportioned Uh ironically Uh um and then yeah it's more some of the other characters and maybe that's going into like the idea that this is a uh distorted universe so the other characters are more like physically changed obviously and again, a lot of this imagery is ripped from from Andy Kubert's art in the in the Flashpoint series. But Superman, because he has been kept under a red sun in this lab his whole life, he's very very skinny and emaciated. And you know, Cyborg is this. this he he. I like maybe the Cyborg design might be one of my favorites in it. I should mention that Phil Barassa is the character designer credited on this, who went on to do a lot of Young Justice and. And some other uh, animation character design work, but and and some for the the, the main DCMU m- movies as as it went forward. But uh, the cyborg design, he's really a tank in this in a way yeah. where he's like know, towers over Batman mm-hmm. in that first scene. There, you really get the sense that he's a he's a hulking mass of a uh, monstrosity. Yeah, and he sure. seems like more of like he's more outfitted for for combat in this. Like his one arm is like permanently a gun in this mm-hmm. as opposed to some of the other versions we might be used to where he can kind of transform back and forth. He has very little human flesh it seems at one point near the end actually we see Aquaman sort of tear him apart and he just sort of has all of this circuitry, a little bit of flesh and then his his human heart still pumping in um, amidst all the circuitry, but yeah, I think uh, yeah, some not not every character design is my favorite. I think Aquaman and Wonder Woman, especially, I didn't like. Yeah, they're not great. Um, but for the for all of those, you know, the cyborg, uh, the Thomas Wayne Batman, and and then the Reverse Flash. I love the uh, the the eyes on the Reverse Flash. He has, you know, he has red pupils, and instead of whites, he has black behind his eyes. So he's just these this black mass with these two red dots in the middle of it. And he has this sort of, you know, haunting sneer on his face the whole time. So a lot of, a lot of good and, you know, I guess an uneven, uh, for me when it comes to the, the, the kind of the look of this world. Yeah. 
Yeah, there's a lot of great action sequences, though, as we mentioned, even if we didn't love the look. I feel like uh, kicking things off with that initial scene between the, the Flash and his classic rogues gallery, mm-hmm. taking a fight taking place in the Flash Museum, another classic yes. Flash locale, uh, a great way to kick things off, and then the whole sequence where the Justice League arrives and they have to defuse these bombs... Uh, what a fun way to kick things off is that you know they pair a couple of them pair up. You have mm-hmm. Batman going with Green Lantern and he flies. Uh, they fly into space and Batman's in a bubble working to defuse the bomb. Meanwhile, Superman has uh, has taken heat wave and he's he's holding the uh, holding <laughs> the bomb in his palms and waits for it to detonate, which I thought was such a cool yes. Like what is cool Superman that's, thing, right? Yeah, that's just one of those things. Where you're like, oh, of course, like of course that's how Superman would solve he that. He just like... puts it between his palms and allows it to explode. <laughs> uh, and then you have uh, you have Aquaman. Uh, uses uh, these microbes to to eat at one of the bombs. Mm -hmm. So you have a bunch of different cool ways that these different heroes attack Mm -hmm. defusing the bombs. So uh, really, really fun, including the Flash, who who is stuck up against this wall and knows that he can't defuse the bomb. So he uses, uh, he initially uses uh, his power to uh, to entrap, to not he can't melt whatever this uh, this material is that mm-hmm. has him stuck to the wall, and uh, but he uses he loosens it enough to entrap uh, Thawne into it. So now Thawne is going to explode too, and then we see what appears to be uh, Barry shoot lightning or something out of his mm-hmm. hand uh, to defuse the bomb. So there was there's some great great little bits there to kick things off, and then. Uh, I will say that there's some DCAU DNA all oh, yeah. throughout this in various different facets. We'll talk about it a lot when we get into voice acting. <laughs> but, uh, you know, you pointed out the first shot that we get of Gotham, Red Sky, uh, blimps in the sky, mm-hmm. Dark Deco, uh, definitely, yes. as you mentioned, a, a nod to Eric Radomski mm-hmm. uh, and and uh, and Mr. Tucker decided to do his best to try and and uh, keep some of that DNA in there. Mm-hmm. Uh, Lois Lane is wearing mm-hmm. purple, very yes. much, uh, you know, matched her look yes. in Superman the Animated Al- Series. Uh, Alan Burnett also a co-producer on this film, so got, a little yeah. more DCAU DNA in this one. Kind of every facet of it. Ah, absolutely. So there's there's some stuff in here that if you uh, and probably stuff that we may have missed also. Mm-hmm. So there's definitely some some uh, some little cameos here by different DCAU stuff. But uh, I will I think boiling everything down. I took a lot of notes as far as visuals. So if we went through all of them, I think we'd be here <laughs> for probably another hour. But I will say, uh, as we alluded to, this is an extremely brutal movie. And Mm -hmm. in the words of Michael Scott, there's a lot of murder and a lot of (laughs) intrigue for that. So, uh, you know, there's... There's some really brutal stuff here. Amira getting beheaded by yes. Wonder Woman. We don't see the actual slice, but we see Wonder Woman hold the head up. Mm-hmm. Uh, speaking of Wonder Woman, she later murders Billy Batson, a yes. child. We, again, you don't see the actual murder, but you see, you hear her stab him, and then Billy falling lifelessly. Yes. Um, you see the the dead the dead Bruce Wayne, young yeah, Bruce Wayne. Young Bruce, dead with, and... Yeah. With Martha smearing his blood across her face to make the Joker smile. Like, there's... Thomas Thomas Wayne murdering who we assume is Joe Chill in the yes. alley, just beating him to death. Uh, you, you have... In every battle scene, there's some sort of off-the-wall 
brutal death. As you mentioned, the the writers really took advantage of the ability to kill all of these heroes and villains off mm-hmm. in unique, different ways. We get uh, Black Manta dies getting shot in the face yes. after his uh, his helmet is is uh, is compromised. Mm. Grifter gets an arrow through the head. Grifter gets shot yeah, in the head. He wouldn't be the only person that dies <laughs> being shot in the head, but uh, we'll get to that in a second. Superman, as we mentioned, murders a whole bunch of soldiers in his mm-hmm. first uh, in his first interaction and then slices off uh, of Aquaman's arm. Mm-hmm. Aquaman, as you mentioned, disassembles Cyborg and bears his actual beating heart. You see yes. it there and is moments away from just ripping it out of him. Uh, there's, there's, uh, Flash gets stabbed in the leg with rebar. Yes. Like, Thrawn just takes, uh, takes a rebar, uh, bar and sh- shoves it into his thigh. Like, mm-hmm. it's, it's a lot of blood and, and that's not even mentioning probably the, <laughs> the most, uh, exciting and, and climactic part of the, of the, the, the whole movie is, comes to this moment after Thrawn is given this, uh, or uh, Thrawn, I keep calling him Thrawn, Thrawn, <laughs> Thrawn has given this diatribe and, and this ta- taunting Barry about not being able to use the speed force because he's there and then you hear a gunshot and you, it's just a visual of his face, and then you see blood start to drip down slowly, and then they pan up, and you see right through his skull, <laughs> brains and all, to, mm-hmm. through to Batman standing on the other side, who's just put a bullet right through his brain. Uh, man, not what we're used to when it comes <laughs> to uh, to animation and, and visuals and things that were allowed. You had to do a lot more uh, uh, camouflaging of your violence uh, mm-hmm. back in the day. But this being a direct-to-video movie, man, lots of brutal stuff here. Stuff I probably even missed. Yeah, yeah, just some, uh, again, a lot of the kills. Wonder Woman, like, strangles Steve Trevor to death at oh, one point. yeah. The uh, the fight between Deathstroke's crew and uh, and the and the Atlanteans is very violent as well. You see some some other DC Comics characters go down in in that uh, melee as well. And then yeah, the ultimate the 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 White Flash engulfing everything as Captain Adam's bomb is set off and and he explodes and you just see you see Amazons and Atlanteans alike just being engulfed in this white and being reduced to ash and and all this stuff, and, and, you know, Barry really, you know, he's, his costume's all torn up, and, and, you know, yeah, everybody's bleeding, like we said, Thomas Wayne's mortally wounded at one point by, uh, can't remember who, I can't remember who gets Batman at that point, it might be, might be Aquaman. Yeah, I think um, so. I think with the, with the trident, but yeah, the, as, as we all mentioned, there's, yeah, all across this, it's just so, it's so brutal and violent, and feels, feels so visceral, but again, I think that's, that helps reinforce what this story is meant to be is that there is no, there's no way to fix this other than for Barry to go back and stop himself from, from changing history originally. And so Mm -hmm. I think they, they do a good job with the, it's not just, it doesn't just all feel like violence because, Hey, it's PG 13 and we can show blood and we can show people getting shot and whatever. Like it feels like a lot of it is earned because of what they're going for with the story beats of it. So yeah, all things considered, the only down notion I will mention here, other than what I already talked about with character designs, there's a few shots in here that are just pure CGI. Yeah. And it's not just the vehicles, which we're pretty accustomed to by this point. It's There's a few shots of Barry running specifically, 
and it's pretty obvious too. Like there's one or two that I think look pretty good. They're mm-hmm. lit well and they have that good cell shading. But then there's a couple where it looks it looks like the MTV Spider-Man cartoon. <laughs> yep, a deep from, cut uh, from like 2000. Uh-huh. Um, and it just looks very uh, as uh, you know often happens when CGI is used in 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 these sorts of things. It does sort of age it and date it in a way that it probably otherwise wouldn't because mm-hmm. you know computer graphics just advance so much faster than than traditional 2D animation does and. So you're always looked with like, oh, that looks bad. There's, and there's one shot at the end where Barry's sort of running through Gotham or into Central City, and he runs up a building and like runs across the blades of a helicopter, and it's it's a cool shot and everything, but you can just tell that it's this weird kind of wonky CG model, and it's not really moving particularly fluid fluidly. And it that that happening three or four times in the movie, I was like, yeah, I wish I wish that we could have. And you know, people, I'm the one who usually complains about the CGI, so if (laughs) Liam happens to bring it up, then, you know. I feel like it was just so much more noticeable for me because it was the character versus the vehicle. I feel like I've been eased into the the CGI vehicles enough that I'm just used to it. But the, yeah, the, the CGI flash that we see... Like you said, it's a it's it's the culmination of the movie. It's the end of the movie. Yeah. And it's this long sequence where he's doing a lot of running and there's a lot of panning that happens and the cell shading in those scenes when it's up close is fine. Mm-hmm. But there are these panned out, you know, far off perspective shots running up buildings and all that and it just it it doesn't look good. Running on water. The water itself is CGI too. So yeah, it's just not not great. Uh, it took definitely took me out of those scenes too. So mm-hmm. uh, definitely took a point off uh, for that. But uh, all things, all of that considered, I, I think that uh, it's action wise, it's really strong. Took a point off or two for the just not loving the actual animation style and the the character designs in some some cases. Took a couple points off for that aged poorly CGI. Uh, but I, I still ended up with a with a seven out of ten for visuals. What about you? Yeah, I uh, I actually gave it the exact same score of seven out of ten. Uh, yeah, I, I like I said, I think there's a lot of great stuff, especially in the in the action sequences, the animation itself, very fluid. It doesn't feel very stiff. The two D animation, I should say, <laughs> uh, is is very uh, is very fluid, and and it really you have a lot. Like I said, all of these these bloody action sequences are just so br- brutal the the red eyes of the the thomas wayne batman suit just really like pierce i feel like every scene that he's mm-hmm. in when and he's you know he's really he's the secondary character of the entire movie so you get a lot of him and they also gave him the five o'clock shadow which that's was right like, which i feel like is maybe a little bit harder to pull off in a yeah in, a, in animation so i think yeah i think that's his design, he has like the weird little shoulder cape spikes, uh-huh. which were like a real hallmark of like nineteen ninety, like late nineties Batman, like yeah. No Man's Land era mm-hmm. Batman design. Mm-hmm. But I feel like I haven't really been attempted in a lot of uh, in a lot of animations. So that was kind of a fun little flourish to put in there. And again, it's all it's all a lot of it. A lot of the designs are based on the the art from the book. But uh, yeah, I thought adapted really well for the most part into uh into this world yeah not i don't disagree with you on that 
All right, Liam, let's move on to our next category, which will be our music. So music this week comes from uh, Mr. Frederick Weidman, or Weidman. Mm -hmm. uh, apologize if I'm butchering that. Uh, but uh, he actually is responsible for a lot of the DCAMU music and soundtracks. Mm -hmm. Did a lot of work on this, including the, uh, the, the previously reviewed Constantine movie, we mm -hmm. believe. Uh, did, did work Superman Red Sun, which we've all also reviewed before, mm -hmm. and uh, a few other projects as well. So yeah, he uh, and and I will say that a lot of the movie relies on a specific score mm -hmm. that uh, to take place. But I will say right off the bat, this feels like a movie score when yes, you're listening to it. I agree. It is done very very well. Um, the the specific moments that I felt like that stood out for me, I think the first one that came out was uh, was when uh, during the scene where the all the heroes are trying to defuse the bomb mm -hmm. in that first scene. Uh, it, there's music that swells and comes in at different points and, and it, it just sticks out and feels very uh, cinematic. It's a, it's a cinematic soundtrack for the majority of it. So that, I feel like, takes it almost to an upper echelon. Not that the music, not that the music in the DCAU or the normal episodes that we... Uh, th that we review don't. In fact, mm -hmm. I think that's that's one of the compliments that we pay so often, and why that original Batman the animated series soundtrack was so incredible was because it did feel so cinematic. And this, mm -hmm. I feel like, does the same thing for a, for a movie. So often, I, I feel like these cartoon movies, you know, you can ignore that part because you're you're paying so much money for people that are the voice cast or. Uh, you know the animation studios or whatever and then the music is just sort of an afterthought and then i just fill in the blanks here and there and if it if it sounds okay it's okay right but this i feel like they, they uh mr weedman did, did just a, a great job at, at composing some some great pieces here um additionally i, I thought that uh when barry's exploring wayne manor there's some some music that comes in there mm -hmm. that i that i made note note of um, I think when Barry Barry uh, first bumps into his mom in the new uh, mm -hmm. in the new universe, also there's some some music that sort of sets the tone for that for that scene. Um, the interactions that and uh, in, in the fight between Aquaman and Wonder Woman when that kicks off the the battle. Uh, there's some really unique sounding stuff that comes in the background. I couldn't quite place what instrument it was, mm -hmm. but there's some some stuff that really sets their fight apart from whatever else is going on in the scene. So you get you know the the rest of the battle, and then it comes back to Aquaman and Wonder Woman. You sort of get this lover. You 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 know that there's something more here as they're sort of giving mm -hmm. their dialogue about uh, Aquaman, saying that uh, you know that uh, that what's the line that he says about loving he says that he can't believe he ever loved her yeah. and and she responds that he never really did and yeah so that that's punctuated really well by the music in that scene i thought and then um i think even though we were robbed of barry actually interacting with his mom uh and and don't get to see that happening at the end where he, he chooses you know to to go back and change change the past uh the scene with him running back and having to tackle himself uh, you know, you start start feeling the tension and raising the stakes as he first gets shaken off by himself, and he has to push further and, and try and fight harder in order to stop his mom, stop himself. Uh, and then I, I think the scene where where Bruce reads the letter also mm -hmm. uh, there's some just some soft strings in the background there, and this this po very poetic sounding. And then as he delivers, uh, Bruce delivers that line of 
you know, you're a hell of a messenger. It, it just punctuates that scene very well, so. Just to review, you broke the coronal barrier, went back in time, prevented your mother's murder, and completely changed the time stream. Nearly destroying the entire world along the way, yes. There's still something I don't understand. I remember all of it. Not just what happened after I woke up there, but my whole other life. I remember every birthday cake my mother ever baked me. My room. Everything. Perhaps some kind of temporal after effect? Or perhaps it was a gift. Yes, a gift. This is my father's handwriting. I thought very very strong um, I gave it a 7 out of 10 also uh, for this category really really enjoyed it and I think brought up a lot of those scenes and made them feel uh, more intense and added to it uh, what about you yeah no I think that uh, that covers a lot of a lot of my notes as well I think I uh, I think the moment I noticed what you kind of mentioned about the you know how it felt so much like a proper film scores in that final moment as Barry has entered the time stream and he's trying to run to catch up with himself and, and all that. It's just the music, as he as he picks up speed, you kind of keep hearing it. It goes up an octave and it gets more and more mm -hmm. frantic, frantic and, and, and exciting as it, as it goes. It really elevates with the mood and then sort of comes back down. The There's not really a traditional like a theme for Superman, but you do get that when he sort of descends from the sky, having taken off Aquaman's arm, you get this really sort of dramatic crescendo of, uh, you know, of, of his entrance there. I think that's, that's really good. And yeah, the way it punctuates the action, I think is what, is what stood out to me a lot. But to your point, in, in some of those lesser moments there, like quieter moments, like, like the end with Bruce in the cave or, or even just the, you know, the, the opening bit as, as, as we see young Barry, as he's walking home to where he will find his dead mother, he's sort of walking with a stick, you know, along a picket fence, and it's all very sunny and beautiful outside, and you have this very sort of soft, nice, melodic music where it feels like he's in this little slice of, you know, suburban paradise, and then as he walks into the room, the room is, you know, and this goes back a little bit to visuals, but then the room's all dark, and the mm -hmm. music, you know, shifts as soon as he sort of walks in and begins to parse together what's happened there as he sees the, you know, the, the, the window open and, and the, you know, the table and then and, and the cake destroyed. And then he, he, you know, he sees his mother's blood on the floor. It's the, the way it sort of shifts very dramatically there to really just reinforce what, what the character's going through, I think is, is really, really strong. And, and that's what I think it does best, uh, as you've already said throughout this, the, the whole movie is just, helping to really reinforce what our what our characters are going through what the story is trying to get get at wholeheartedly agree absolutely. um yeah the and during the the flashback sequence i think where we see that uh the aquaman wonder woman mira uh romance and betrayal i think you 
you have that theme sort of initiate there again, sort of in this triumphant, hopeful way as we see the pact forming and then turn to those sort of shriller, sharper notes when it's, uh, you know, when the betrayal happens and you kind of have some of that music brought back in when they, when they see each other again on the battlefield at the end. So, you know, good, good musical callbacks there as well. Um, so yeah, for all those reasons, I actually gave it the exact same score, a uh, strong seven out of 10. I thought, uh, you know, not necessarily a lot of music you'll, you'll hum maybe when you're done with it, but as far as adding to the scenes and, and adding to what the story called for and, and, uh, and being a partner with these other categories that we cover, it, uh, it more than held its own here this week. Absolutely. And uh, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, at least on YouTube, and I'm sure that means on streaming services, because if it's on YouTube, it's on streaming services too. Mm-hmm. This is one of those cases, uh, as with most of these movies, the soundtrack was actually released. So you can actually go check out some of those tracks in mm-hmm. isolation if you want to hear uh, and, and appreciate some of, uh, some of the excellent work done for this movie. So highly recommend it on whatever streaming service you have, uh, music streaming service, or check it out on YouTube. But uh, yeah, definitely worth checking out. Absolutely. All right, Liam, let's uh, let's move on to our final category of the day, which is going to be our voice acting. And as I mentioned, well, as we've mentioned, there's a huge cast here. It's, <laughs> it's remarkable that they had a budget for anything after the amount of, uh, of actors they ended up with, actors and actresses they added up, uh, ended up with for this, uh, for this entire movie. But I guess it is a movie, so a movie yes. cast tends to be a little bit bigger than a television series. But a lot of recognizable names that you'll uh, hear both from DCAU and non-DCAU appearances here. So let's, uh, let's get to cracking with our this week's voice cast. Uh, yeah, that's right. So kind of uh, starting with some, some familiar names playing maybe different ro- roles than were than we remember we have a uh, hinden walsh of course the voice of, of starfire on teen titans as well as uh, ace in in justice league and, and various other uh, animated projects playing uh, yo-yo briefly we have kevin michael richardson of course you know virgil's father on static shock and a trillion other roles <laughs> that we we come across across our various series playing the the president pretty solid like, yeah i wouldn't have thought because he has such a deep booming voice and you know uh the, the the former president's voice has you know has this very sort of you know quick and sort of pausing cadence mm-hmm. to it you wouldn't necessarily thought that he does it but it's not it's not a straight up one-to-one impression but it's uh, it's certainly again uh, affecting absolutely you know you know who it's supposed to be and it's, sure. it's fun to have him in that role there uh ron perlman in here as uh, as deathstroke very briefly but obviously having played the role of the the never named deathstroke but mm-hmm. uh slade on teen titans uh fun to get him back in there as well uh, and then we have, let's see who else we have, Jennifer Hale, who of course is Killer Frost, and, uh, and Giganta on Justice League, uh, playing both Iris and the young Billy Batson role here. Um, we have uh, Gray Delisle slash Griffin playing, uh, playing Barry's mother, who another voice actress we, we talk about quite frequently on this show, just because she's, you know, one of the, one of the pros pros of the, of the industry there, um. And, uh, and then, of course, our, our big headliners here that perhaps you would know best from our, our main DCAU uh, episodes. We have uh, Dana Delaney returning as Lois Lane in a few scenes, as well as playing the Bruce Wayne version of Batman. We, of course, have the great Kevin Conroy. Um, and that's, that's uh, it, it's, it's fun. It's fun to hear them play 
even though these aren't meant to be the exact DCAU versions of those characters, it, it is fun to have them, uh, have them uh, be, be a part of this and kind of be a thread. Because, as we know, the Flashpoint story is meant to sort of be a, a reboot. So them kind of being there in the, the quote-unquote old continuity before mm-hmm. the, the new world sort of kicks off theirs. It's a fun little bit of poetry, whether or not that was intentionally why they were, they were cast for this or not. I think that's a... It's a fun bit of poetry to play with. No, and it's it's as much of the uh, of this of this entire movie is is Easter eggs because again it's you can, can you spot the hero quick enough before they die <laughs> sort of sort of thing at times or oh look at that you know that's oh that's a reference to this part of the sta- standard continuity or this is this is, whatever there's a lot of that Easter egg type stuff here so the fact that they went beyond not only just the visual easter eggs but they included the the audio version of easter eggs having these returning voices and people reprise these roles or familiar voices play different roles uh, it's just just another cute little little fun rewarding thing for people at home regardless obviously it's great performers performing and doing what they do best so it it adds to the film in that that realm but it also is a nice little reward for those that are in the know so if you know you know and you you enjoy that on top of a great performance if you're not as quite familiar with the dcau or some or you know some of the adjacent uh, animation properties that these characters or voice voice actors and actresses had previously been in then you know you still get great performances because they're great great uh, great performers absolutely and this one's this how about maybe the most fun uh choice made here is uh playing superman in this is not <laughs> it's not george newburn nor is it tim daly but it is tim's son sam playing the role and while it maybe doesn't quite match when you see the the traditional superman at the start when he's playing this sort of this you know smaller younger sort of not you know not aware of the world version i think he really plays well with the the sort of deer and headlights mm-hmm. uh, version of superman that we see in the in the second half here absolutely yeah it was uh there there are twinges where it sounds a little bit like tim it's like you said it's not one to one and especially when he has more of the dialogue in the opening scene but hey another hey like the the choice to cast the son of the guy that was normally <laughs> you know the the classic superman that so many people were used to who knows what the you know the availability or why they didn't didn't cast him in this this role but the fact that they went with his son is just another cute little thing and a, and a little reward for again if you know you know and you enjoy it all the more because you know and if not there wasn't a ton asked of asked of uh, of Mr. Daly in this role, so uh, for for what it's worth, what he needed to do, I thought he was he was excellent for what he needed to do. Absolutely, and so moving on to some of our, our bigger players here. Although uh, we have uh, we have uh, speaking of a guy who would come back to play him in in quite a few more pro- uh, projects, we have Nathan Fillion briefly as Hal Jordan, uh, and then of course playing our. Kind of our, our our secondary villains, I guess. We have Vanessa Marshall as Wonder Woman, who has played her in, in and would go on to play her in quite a few other project projects, including the Red Sun movie, which we previously reviewed, as well as the Harley Quinn animated series, which we've also previously reviewed now, mm-hmm. uh, just last month, and then uh, playing playing Aquaman, which I would not have uh, I would not have known if I had not looked this up. Carrie Elwes. 
Uh, the Dread Pirate Roberts from uh, from the Princess Bride. Um, Get out of the here. The guy from Saw, like whatever whatever you might know he was him most from. Most recently in Stranger Things, also he Abs- played a character in Stranger Things. Absolutely, uh, recurring villain on Psych. Uh, yeah, weird. You know, just a weird character actor from from across different generations. He just seems to always pop up in a popular movie or show but yeah him him showing up of course robin hood uh, men in tights probably maybe his most famous uh, starring role mm-hmm. um but yeah that's uh having him as aquaman him and and uh, miss marshall as wonder woman despite being the impetus for why the world's gonna blow up they really don't get you know their backstory is kind of combined to like a 30 second flashback and With then no dialogue right and then they obviously like we talked about they do get this final sort of confrontation at the end where ultimately Wonder Woman ends up stabbing him and killing him. But I don't feel like they really got a lot of time to do, you know, to really stretch their legs and and really... Because this is such like an over-the-top Shakespearean story, you would would hope, you know, these actors really get a chance to do some, you know, to really stretch their legs. But I don't really feel like they, they get a ton of opportunities to, like... Mr. Elvis is Aquaman. He's, you know, he comes across as this very sort of cold, calculating uh, ruler. You know, there's a scene where his, you know, his brother, the Ocean Master, is uh, is sort of questioning his tactics and and mentions Mira, and he kind of flies off the handle at him and 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 that sort of thing. But I, I don't feel like either of them probably get as much play as they should. Um, but it's also tough because I don't know, other than maybe what we've already talked about, cutting in plot where you could have fit that in if you're trying to keep this to an 80 minute movie yeah and it i think in almost a way i was okay with it because these these two are the villains of this of this universe yeah this universe they're the bad people they're the two selfish people that are acting out of emotion and destroying the world because of it uh so i I, I fear that if you had given them too much, one of them could have looked like the uh, the lesser then, and at that point, the lesser mm-hmm. lesser evil, uh, or been more sympathetic or empathetic. But I feel like almost with both of them, their deliveries are extremely emotionless at times, as you mentioned, and cold and, and calculated. And because of that, it it doesn't it doesn't feel like you're rooting for one or the other to win. It feels just like you want both of these people to lose, <laughs> which I think is the ultimate should it should right. be how you feel about these two people that are going to destroy the world because of a of of what occurred. That was yeah. ultimately both of their responsibilities and both of their faults. Yeah, I think yeah that might be the best part of it for both of their performances is there that moment where they're kind of just trading back and forth you killed my wife while well, she tried to kill me well well you're you wearing wear... her crown. right <laughs> yeah i think that's probably the best the best stuff they get get there but uh, a few more other noticeable names uh, though they don't get a lot to do we do have uh, lex uh playing lex luthor and captain thunder uh, we have we have Steve Blum, who is probably best known as the voice of Wolverine in about three thousand projects. There you go. And then uh, D. Bradley Baker, who's just one of the uh, you know one again another one of those voice actors whose names you will see in a million projects. He plays the clones in the 
Star Wars animated, uh, various animated projects and, and a lot of other things there, playing Etrigan, the top, and of course Canterbury Cricket. I can't believe we forgot about him <laughs> as we were recapping uh, the plot there, Cal. But yeah, we have uh, a few more main uh, voice actors to talk about here. Playing Cyborg is uh, Michael B. Jordan, of course, of, of Creed and uh, Black Panther fame. Uh, most recently, and of course, uh, playing played Johnny Storm in the everyone's go. favorite Fantastic Four movie. He was in he was in those Creed movies. That's right. Those were perfect. I didn't see the second one, but yeah. I loved the first one. Loved the first one. Somehow, just never bothered to watch yeah. the second one. Yeah, and there, there's a third one that apparently is coming out yeah. sometime soon. So, yeah, he's a he's a big big time Hollywood star nowadays. So. Yeah, I think he's a guy who, when you see him on screen, he has a real strong like presence and charisma and he's very compelling to look at yeah not he's not just because he's a handsome man, man but yeah. just like he has a very like visual charisma to him that i don't necessarily know that comes across in this performance like because yeah. because the way he talks when you don't have his you know his facial expressions and and attitude to kind of go along with with that it can almost come across kind of wooden but maybe that goes towards him playing a robot i I don't i didn't know if that was an intentional voice direction for him that Mm -hmm. he was supposed to play this emotionless sort of he's an agent of the government so he has to be kind of even keeled there is the moment where he gets to sort of show a little emotion as he and batman are having Mm -hmm. this verbal sparring as they save superman and he's trying to He's trying to, to you know to shoot down Batman's notion that there is no good and there's no there's no reason for optimism and all of that. So he does get to show his his uh, his voice acting chops there a little mm-hmm. bit, but it's the rest of it is mostly either exposition or just a very even keeled, emotionless way of of delivering his dialogue. So again, I don't know if that was voice direction because he's playing a robot, and because of that, I'll probably give him I, I gave him a pass for it. <laughs> But um, I will say that there that that could easily be interpreted as uh, not a great performance because of the that the the amount of dialogue he ends up having for the for the for the crux of the movie mm-hmm. and it not being delivered with much emotion or, or variation. Yeah, I think that's I think that's fair. Then and then sort of wrapping up our voice cast here, we have uh, Kevin McKidd as uh, as the Thomas Wayne version of Batman. Uh, who folks might know from uh, maybe Train Spotting or some of his other voice work, like in the some of the Pixar animation uh, studios movies, he's done work for them as well. Um, he's doing uh, you know the gravelly Clint Eastwood, uh, although unlike it doesn't seem like it's a put on voice. It's not quite the Christian Bale, but it's it's trending in that direction. Maybe it feels like just kind of almost everything he said is is spoken in this sort of gravelly whisper. Uh, you know, tough guy voice. So it looks like he also was born in Scotland, mm-hmm. which which I wonder if he was doing an. I guess he was doing an American accent. Yes. Which also and it, kudos to anybody from another country doing an American accent because <laughs> boy oh boy, uh, is there a lot of variation and a lot of difference in, in how we we as Americans speak. But I, I will say that at times when somebody from uh, from Europe, from Great Britain, uh, tend to uh, to to put on an American accent. It does come off as very one note and emotionless uh, because 
they're concentrating so hard and it's like a it's a one note accent it can yes. be at times so at times it and i don't know how much of an accent mr mckid has but it did at times feel like to me that there was echoing or emulating of the of the christian bale you're not wearing hockey pads like <laughs> you know i'm not wearing hockey pads like there, there is that gruff like he just needed to add gruff to his voice to add gruff like mm-hmm. um but he does so consistently i didn't feel like there was any point in the movie where and he's playing a character that is devoid of hope that is beat down that has watched his own child murdered in front of him and his mm-hmm. wife turned into an arch supervillain. Yep. like so you get it this guy's not supposed to be happy-go-lucky this guy isn't supposed to be very optimistic um but at times, it, it did feel like the gravel in his voice was eh, a little distracting. But overall, I, you know, being the debut version of this character, I think, in, as for, in animation, as far as I know, uh, fine. It could be defining. I don't know if yeah. you, you find somebody else that does a, a voice. And it couldn't be... I guess they, they didn't want to just use Kevin Conroy mm-hmm. in a different vocal range or something right. like that. Um I think it would have been interesting to hear him try and take on this role, mm-hmm. uh, but not going with Mr. Conroy and going with uh, with him instead. You know, it, it it was fine. I think it was serviceable. But he does he does have a lot of dialogue in the movie. Yes, for sure, and yeah, a lot of it spoken in that in that same tone of voice. But uh, elsewhere, of course, we have playing the reverse Flash. We have C. Thomas Howell. Tremendous name, uh, who folks would know from things like, uh, I believe he's one of the kids in E.T., wow. and, uh, and then more recently has been in uh, a couple different, looks like CBS shows, like uh, the SEAL Team show that uh, the guy from Bones is on. Uh, he was on The Walking Dead for a couple of years. Okay. Um, so uh, as, as far as, again, we talk about, he has this, he doesn't get a lot to do. He's in the opening scene, and then we don't really see him until the last you know 15 minutes of the movie or so, but... He does get this very, uh, you know, uh, you know, sarcastic. Uh, he's really twisting the knife into Barry as he's monologuing about how Barry is the one who caused all of this havoc and and how and how selfish Barry was for going back to try to save his mother and and causing all of this as a result. And he he does get to play a pretty. You you feel like he's he's reaching arch enemy status by the time you you feel there's. You know, he genuinely seems to really enjoy torturing the Flash in this. Yeah, I I think he sort of sets the tone initially, at least in that opening scene where he's introduced as the person behind the attack on Flash at the Flash Museum, mm-hmm. and then uh, as Flash is sort of there trapped in this this material that he can't get free free from, you see the joy that he has in in taunting Flash. And then when he figures out that Flash, or thinks that Flash is still going to die because he can't defuse the bomb, mm-hmm. there's even more of that there. And then again, I, I think the the line that stuck out to stuck out to me was uh, after he he goes through the list of things that Flash uh, could have gone back and stopped, and he pauses and he goes, and, and but instead Flash chose to go rescue his mom. He pauses and says and i'm the villain and it was just oh it was delivered so well and it was the perfect just villainous way of 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 chiding the the hero and really twisting the knife and and i I think that that line alone and the way that he delivered it was was like solidified this as a as a great performance for me so i thought he did it did a great job and and when he needed to in that that 
back and forth dialogue with Barry uh, that he uh, he did a, a fantastic job. Absolutely, and then uh, playing uh, the man of the hour here, Barry Allen, we have Justin Chambers, who folks would know uh, from, uh, I think he's one of the original cast members of Grey's Anatomy and is still somehow on that show. Yeah. That's right, this is your alert that that show is still on the air. <laughs> no that one's show lo- will outlive us all. <laughs> <laughs> that's right it'll so. be that in the simpsons no one will be alive to watch it the whole world will be mm-hmm. dead but mm-hmm. that's those shows will still be going on absolutely so uh yeah and as as a barry allen it's it's funny because i think when this came out there really wouldn't have been an, like an archetypal barry allen voice actor mm-hmm. um i think now in modern days you might you might think of uh of grant gustin or or, or someone like that, but uh, but at this point, this role was, I think, a lot more wide open, and I think he, yeah, I think he does a good job with it. Is you know, a lot of it is him just reacting to this crazy new world that he's been thrust into, and I, I think he does have some 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 good lines. I think playing off of uh, Mr. McKid as as Thomas Wayne, uh, especially as they're they're sort of hypothesizing how they can solve this problem, and then. When uh, when Barry decides he's going to be get hooked back up to the electric chair for the second time, and and Thomas asks him, you know, what's what happens if it doesn't work, and and Barry te- kind of quips that we'll try to put the fire out faster next time or something <laughs> like that, and and uh, you know that I think he gets across that determination that you want from a Barry Allen, where he even though this comes from sort of this very naive and and ultimately you could say selfish act that he causes um causes all of this you feel like at the end he does have this you know this this good heart and you know he gives the big rah-rah speech to the other heroes about how you know you can't you can't give up and and you know heroes on my world help and and fight even if it's not their world that they're defending that they're gonna they're gonna put it he has the, the if where there's life there's hope is is the line he delivers and i think I think in those moments he gets a little bit more to shine, as well as his, his interactions certainly with Thawne at the end of the movie. Yeah, there were. Um, I thought he handled the opportunities for the emotional moments very well. Also, um, I thought that his interaction uh, it, when he first realizes that he's on an Earth where his mom exists, uh, she sort of jokes with him, and obviously she doesn't know the meaning behind it. But she says, uh, you know, mentions that they were supposed to get dinner. And, uh, and Barry sort of looks at her puzzled and she says, oh, you forgot about me. And he pauses and he delivers this line and he, he gives her a hug mm-hmm. and he, he, coupled with the line, I could never forget you. Yeah. And it's just, it's just a, a nice little pause, an emotional moment. We are let in on and knowing why, you know, of course, this means so much and what he means by it. But the delivery of that line I thought was great. And then I think, uh, I think at the end where he has to tackle himself uh he you know you he says mom i'm so sorry yeah like and it's and there's a couple we get two scenes that that sort of bookend the the movie with him at at nora's grave so we get we get him uh at the beginning and then him at the end and i thought both of those sort of he has a little bit dialogue in each of those that he has to deliver and 
uh, I thought that those emotional beats were done really well too. So absolutely, yeah. Uh, I know this is uh, appears to be his only uh, turn as the Flash in this mm-hmm. this universe. So he'll he will be recast uh, in in later editions. But I thought he did a fine job. And yeah, maybe maybe not how you stereotypic stereotypically now think of Barry's voice as you mentioned, but uh, I think a fine performance uh, all the way around and uh, a strong performance by by most of the people in the cast. Um, uh, as we mentioned. Uh, you know, giving giving Mr. Jordan the benefit of the doubt on uh, on playing a robot and, <laughs> and uh, being directed to be a little bit more emotionless in, in uh, the way that he delivered things. But I ended up giving voice acting a uh, still pretty strong 8 out of 10. What about you? And how about that? I also gave it an 8 out of 10. So I think we, we agreed in three of our, our four categories. We sure week. did, absolutely. So uh, I guess it's time to total those categories up. And if you do math, you can probably figure it out once I give my score. But I ended up uh, giving this a, a pretty strong 30 out of 40, Liam. Yeah, and I am, uh, by virtue, I think, of my plot score, I am just one point lower at a, a 29 out of 40. Um, now, it's funny, Cal, because when we get to, to uh, these movies, we don't really talk about rewatchability uh-huh. in, the, in the traditional way because most of the time they're standalone things. This is interesting because it sort of does act as a bridge to these future DCMU movies. However, the the art style is different. The mm-hmm. voice actors are mostly recast, mm-hmm. um, and it's really not the same. You know, it's not the same universe really. Sure. Even though in a in a little Marvel style post credit scenes, we do see a bunch of parademons bursting out of a a boom tube to set up that the next movie would be uh, Justice League War, um, mm-hmm. which was the first sort of official starting point. And I will say, spoiler alert, this version of Thawn does show up in that DC animated movie universe, mm-hmm. hole in head and all. Mm-hmm. Um, so this, this it is sort of tangentially connected alternate universe or alternate timelines. Hard to say exactly how, but this is kind of the jumping off point for a... You know, almost you know, double digit, you know, series of of connect interconnected movies that, uh, you know, that just recently wrapped up in uh, I think at the end of twenty twenty there. So yeah, I think this is uh, this actually does have continuity that you have to pay attention to, and this is this is even though it doesn't necessarily feel like it until several movies down the down the line, uh, it does kind of kick off this this Tuckerverse as we have uh, mm-hmm. we have talked about. Yeah, no, I, I, I give it two thumbs up based on the fact, uh, yes, continuity-wise, it's it's important to launching an entire universe of movies, and it's also fun to watch. It's very well-paced, as we said. It's 120 minutes, uh, or sorry, an hour and 20 minutes, so you're not sitting there for, you're not sitting here for multiple hours watching mm-hmm. it. Um, as we said, there's a lot of violence in it, so I wouldn't recommend this as like a family film. No, yeah, to definitely like probably 13 and up if you're yeah. if you're watching a PG-13 for a reason. Uh, use your discretion uh, as as a parent, but yeah, I I do think that uh, it's fun. There's some good action here. There's some great comic book uh, parallels and and callbacks mm-hmm. and all the other stuff that we said. And if you're a fan of the DCAU. Uh, you'll enjoy the Easter eggs and the references and the things that sort of pay homage to that to the DCAU. So mm-hmm. yeah, I'm I'm giving it two thumbs up for rewatchability. I agree. All right, Liam. Well, that'll begin to wrap us up for this week. Thank you, everybody, for tuning in. Don't forget uh, a couple ways to support the podcast. Here, you can uh, like us on your favorite 
social media platform. We're on uh, Instagram and Twitter at DCAU Review. You can also subscribe to us on your favorite podcast app, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts. We're on all of those. You can also head over to our Anchor site. Our Anchor site has a link if you want to donate to us. We would greatly appreciate that and thank you for it. Um, you can also engage with us uh, on our Spotify app. Also, if you go to Spotify and listen to us there, there's some exclusive questions for our Spotify listeners. So uh, check those out. Interact with us there. We love hearing from you and uh, get your opinion on some of our weekly questions. Uh, as we mentioned at the top of the program, you can also subscribe to the YouTube channel, The Pod Tower, youtube.com slash The Pod Tower. That helps us out as well you can also head over to dcaureview.com check out our shop and pick up a shirt or a sticker or a piece of merchandise if you'd like to support us that way liam as we mentioned at the top we are wrapping up our flash month which means we are turning the page here we are headed into the fall months here and uh, we have an exciting september coming up for us right here absolutely cal and uh as you folks might be aware, if you're listening to a show like this, you're probably aware. Uh, next month marks 30 years, God, we are so old, of the of uh, Batman the Animated Series, of course, originally debuting in September of 1992. So uh, we will be kicking off, uh, really it's more of a two-month celebration. We'll get uh, perhaps more into the specifics of the second month later down down the road here, but uh, we will be kicking it off with another month of BTOS reviews, and we're starting uh, where we left off in the uh, production order of this series, with a pretty great and memorable one in Read My Lips. There we go, the introduction of Scarface, uh, a reoccurring villain. Absolutely. A fun one, I can't wait. I remember the soundtrack from this episode yes. is off the chain. Uh, can't wait to check that out in an exciting couple of months ahead for us now cannot wait. But until then, I'm Cal. And I'm Liam. And we'll talk to you on the next episode of the BCAU. Bye-bye.